So anyway, um, so we're going to be hitting this again uh, tonight, talking about what it means to be a disciple. And, uh, and specifically tonight, um, we're going to be going through cultivating the heart of a disciple. Because really, discipleship, um, there's a lot of misconceptions about discipleship. There's a lot of people that believe that discipleship is like what we do as a church, where you sit down with another person one-on-one, you start going through materials, and you finish those materials, and you finish discipleship. And that is absolutely not true. We have a lot of people that finish the materials of discipleship, and they are not a disciple of Jesus Christ. It happens all the time. Um, The materials that you use to go through discipleship are just a means to an end. And that is for you to use those things, let them get deep inside your heart so you can become a disciple. But you don't need like professional materials to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's ridiculous. All you need is the Bible and a willing heart. That's really all you need. And someone who you can follow after to learn from them. So if you're really going to be a disciple, if you, some of you are going to be starting discipleship here in a couple weeks. Um, some of you have already gotten the phone calls for some people. We're finishing up the last little bit of uh, pairing up. So if you haven't heard, you're going to hear from it soon. But as you guys are going to be starting to get into discipleship, this stuff is, I mean, like if you want it to go well, you've got to get this stuff into your heart. You have to. And this goes beyond just the time that you spend with a discipler. This goes into things you need to do every day of your life. Like if you struggle with being faithful to God on a daily basis, it's because this stuff is not in your life right now. And it has to be. Um, This is very basic, but it is so important. These are the fundamentals of what it really means to be a disciple. And it really all comes back down to your heart. Because if your heart is not right, nothing else is going to be right. So we're going to talk about cultivating the heart of a disciple. And there's three points. We're going to see how far we get with this. I planned on covering both pages, page three and page four tonight. If we don't get to page four, that's fine. Um, But I just want to see how far we can get with this. Okay, go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. So Acts 9, there's a passage in Acts 9 that serves as our pattern for these three points. Uh, But in Acts chapter 9, you have Paul, when he was born again, Jesus Christ met him on the road to Damascus and talked with him face to face. And he trusted in, in the Lord as a savior at this point in time. And so we have verse 17, goes with our first point. Verse 18 and 19 goes with our second point. And verse 19 and 20 goes with our our third point. So if you really want to have a heart of a disciple, you have to become a listener. You have to. And we'll talk about what that really means. And then after you become a true listener, then you can actually be a learner in your life. And we'll talk about what that means because then after that, then you can actually be a laborer. And this is the pattern that we see here with Paul in Acts chapter 9. So Acts 9, take a look at verse 17. So we'll back it up a couple verses. So the Lord said unto Ananias, because Ananias was, was called by God to go and talk with Paul. Paul was already confronted face-to-face with Jesus Christ on the road. And then Paul was led blind into Damascus. And Ananias is the guy that God wants to use to go and open up the eyes of Paul. Now, this would have been very freaky because Ananias knew the reputation of Saul, and he knew that this guy was not a good guy and that he could show up and be killed. Like, he knew that. He knew that this is a a big deal. So God's speaking to Ananias in verse 15. It says, But the Lord said unto him, unto Ananias, Go thy way, for he, this Saul, or Paul, For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. 
for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. So what I love about this is there's a pattern that's seen here. And the first thing is being a listener. And that means, and this is your blank here, learning to live a repentant life. Learning to live a repentant life. What do I mean by that? Learning to live a repentant life. What does that mean? If you put it in your own words, if you had to explain that to somebody, or even take a guess at it, what does that mean? Repentant life. Yeah. Be willing to change what you believe in order to follow Yeah. Which also means you have to deny yourself. And that goes right in what we're talking about. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. So it means you live a life constantly saying, all right, here's my thoughts, here's my ideas, but God, what do you think? Like you don't just go and just do whatever you want. You actually check with God first and see if that's what God wants you to do. You're not in charge anymore. It's a repentant life. You're second, always. God's first, always, in everything. And so this is something that's not easy for someone to do where you've spent maybe your entire life of just being in charge. You've done whatever you've wanted. You've done the things that your heart's desired, and you've not even thought about God's opinion. When you live a pattern like that, it's hard to break that habit. It's hard to break that pattern and turn your ways unto the Lord and have the Lord be in charge of your life. So that was Paul. And here in verse 17, he obviously... It says, brother Saul. So he was already a brother. He was already saved at this point in time. And he, and in fact, I love how it even says it. If you go back to uh, verse four of the same chapter, is, and when he saw Jesus and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? See, immediately he's broken, and he knows he deserves to die for what he's done towards Jesus Christ and the church. And so now he's saying, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And it began there, and then it continued for the rest of his life. So that's verse 17, where Ananias came in, and he received his sight, and he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He was born again. And in verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scaled, so he received his sight. So let's talk about this for a second. Being a listener, learning to a repentant life. So letter A here, truly listening means you have a selfless, repentant heart attitude. Truly listening. Now, you guys should know what I'm talking about when I explain this, but have you ever had a conversation with somebody where you're talking to them and you know they're not listening to you? Does that drive you nuts? Or are you just like okay with that? You just don't care. It's almost, it feels like you're wasting your time speaking because they're not actually hearing anything that you have to say. Sometimes it happens to me when I teach the Bible. <laughs> Sometimes it does. Because I feel like what I'm saying is just falling on deaf ears. Now, I know the Bible says that God's word will never return void. But there's sometimes where I'm having conversations with people where they're just not hearing me. Like they're listening, but they're not listening. They're hearing my words, but they're not understanding because they really just don't want to. That happens all the time, all the time. So if you don't want to listen, it's because you're prideful and stubborn. 
That's really what it comes down to. I know there's been times where your parents have walked into your life, started to ruin your deal, told you the opposite of what you wanted to do, and then you have a little bit of stubbornness and a little bit of pride, and you choose not to listen to them. I mean, because that's happened to me. I mean, I don't know. Am I in this alone? I'm pretty sure you guys have done that, right? Because we're stubborn and we're rebellious by nature. So when someone comes against us and tells us things that go against what we want, we tend to not want to hear what they have to say. That's almost our reaction. And you have to retrain yourself to think, I might be wrong. Like, even just that's enough. Like, if you were to just start thinking when someone comes against you and it's against what you want or what you feel or what you desire, especially if it's someone that's godly, that you know walks with God, you should start thinking, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm wrong. I need to think about this. If you just start there, God can do some amazing things with it. Because most people don't even do that. Because right out of the gate, most people, what they'll do is they'll say, I'm right. They're wrong. I don't care what they have to say. They have no idea what they're talking about. They don't know my circumstance. They don't know my life. They don't know anything that I'm going through. They don't know how I feel. So I'm going to disregard everything they're saying. Am I right on this? Okay. Because that's me. That's what I've gone through. That's what I've struggled with. And I've had to retrain myself to think, hey, you know what? I might actually be wrong on this. And is there anything that they're saying that is actually true? And I need to humble myself and start thinking that way. So this means, this means you have a selfless, repentant heart attitude, which also means you don't have all the answers. Go to Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1. Proverbs. Proverbs. Probably one of the best books for you during these years of your life. Proverbs 1. I want you to see this. This is, this is pretty outstanding, which it should be. It's in the Bible, but that's a subsequent point. Proverbs chapter 1, take a look at verse 20. And we're just going to walk through this a little bit. We're going to read 20 through 33. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse. In the openings of the gates, in the city, she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scornings, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. See, this is a great example of, I mean, even if you look at chapter 2, look at chapter 2, and it says in verse 6, I love this verse, for the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. So just based on the little bit that we know from scripture, the Lord giveth wisdom out of his mouth, so that means God's words, out of the word of God cometh knowledge and understanding. Every single day, this book is crying out and telling you what to do and not do. Decisions to make that are good and decisions that will be bad if you make them. And the consequences of both. This book is something that comes against us every single day. And in a way, when wisdom crieth without and she uttereth her voice in the streets, you have the opportunity to hear wisdom every single day of your life. Every single day, you have the opportunity to hear wisdom. None of us have an excuse at all. The reason why we don't want to hear God's words is because we don't want to hear what God has to say. Because if we hear what God has to say, he might come against us. That's what a lot of people, that's their excuse to not get into the Bible. They'll mask it with laziness. 
they'll excuse it with busyness. They'll say that they just don't have time or they've got other things that just keep getting in the way. But the reality is, is they don't want to hear God. You can make whatever label you want. You can cover it up however you want to. But at the end of the day, if you want to hear from God, you can. So if you aren't hearing from God, it's because you don't want to. That's what it really comes down to. And this is one of those things you have to start to consider. I might be wrong about this and just listen to what I have to say about it. Because wisdom, the Bible says, turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you and I will make known my words unto you. Now look at this in verse 24. Because I have called, past tense, and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but ye have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Okay, this is not like God being, you know, just a big meanie. What he's saying is, is that I told you what to do and you refused to hear me. And so when bad things happen in your life, don't blame me. It's your own dang fault. That's what he's saying. When things unfold that are a disaster, you shouldn't be surprised because you didn't hear me in the first place. Because verse 33, if you hearken unto the wisdom that comes from God, you will be able to dwell safely and you will be quiet from fear of evil. It doesn't mean bad things don't unfold, but it means you're following God's will and God will bless you. So if you keep refusing to hear God, shocker, it's not going to go well for you. I mean, that's how, the, this, how this whole thing plays out. So if you want to be a disciple, you have to learn how to be a listener. You've got to learn how to hear God when he speaks. And so that begins with your heart attitude towards the Bible. It begins with your heart attitude towards Bible teaching and preaching. It begins with your heart attitude towards godly people that give you counsel straight from the scripture. And if you're not willing to hear them, then when things don't go well, surprise. I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise, but people act like it is. And they're like, oh, how do I get out of this mess? God, I'll do whatever you want. That's exactly what it says. Then shall they call on me, but I, shall, I will not answer. They're going to eat of the fruit of their own ways. So this is something that is just part of life. And if you choose to go the hard way and make some mistakes, it doesn't mean there's no redemption for that. It doesn't mean you can't somehow learn good things from that. But if we would just listen to God in the first place, it would save us from so much pain and so many issues in our life. Go over to chapter 5. Take a look at chapter 5. I'm just going to read through this, but I want to focus on one verse on here. So similar tone as far as what, what was out of chapter 1, um, but the, the father, Solomon, speaking to his son, or the David unto Solomon, however you want to look at this. Uh, it says, My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest disregard, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. 
For the lips of a strange woman, so there's the subject, it's the strange woman. For the lips of a strange woman, drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. Lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at the last, when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. And say, because after he makes the mistakes, and he gets seduced by the strange woman, and he does everything that she wants him to do, he now is full of regret, and now this is what he says. How I have hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. I was almost in all, in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. So this is what happens to people all the time. They stubborn up, they go their own way, they do their own thing, they find themselves in a huge disaster, and if they're willing to humble themselves at that point, this is their response. I hated instruction. My heart despised reproof, and I obeyed not the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to them that instructed me. I just didn't listen. I didn't listen. If I would have just listened, I would not have had to gone through all this stuff. Very important. Very important. So every time the Bible's open, whether it's in your home, maybe in your room, here on Sundays, here on Wednesdays, when you meet with your discipler, when you're discipling somebody else, it is always an opportunity for you to hear God's wisdom and it will save you from a life of pain. And so this means you have to be selfless. You have to have a repentant heart attitude. If you are not selfless, if you do not have a repentant heart attitude, then you're never going to listen to anything that God has to say. All right. So repentance begins at salvation. This is a no-brainer, an absolute no-brainer. If someone is not willing to realize that they are wrong and God is right, they can never be saved. It will never happen. A person has to come to the place where they recognize that God is right and I am wrong in order for me to receive salvation. That's the only way this is going to work out. And you can look up some of those verses later. Acts 26 is a, it's a really key one. But that just makes sense. A person has to admit that God's right and I'm wrong. And so it begins at salvation, but then it should continue throughout the life of a disciple. It, it should. It ought to. We've already spent time in Proverbs. Let's take a look at... Um, um, I mean, someone go to Colossians 2 6. Whoever wants to go there, Hannah, you can go there. Everyone else go to 2 Corinthians 7. 2 Corinthians 7. 2 Corinthians 7. So it begins at salvation, but it should continue. Repentance, having this kind of a heart attitude, should continue throughout the life of a true disciple. And listen to Colossians 2 6. Okay, so the same way you received him, you humbled yourself and called upon him for salvation is the same way that you walk with him daily. And this should be very, very clear because if you have received the Christ as your savior, you know exactly what I'm talking about as far as what's required for salvation. Now, if any of you have at that point forward decided to be self-willed and not ask God for help in your life after that point, how has it gone for you? Good, bad, not so well, because you're left with yourself and you're a deceitful sinner. So 
we need the Lord coming against us daily in order for us to make right decisions. We have to have that. If you don't have that in your life, then you're not going to make good decisions. There's no way that you can do it on your own. You need the Lord. That's why he's given you his spirit to help teach you and to guide you. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, take a look at verse. We'll start in 9. Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So there's two different types of sorrow. There's a sorrow that's kind of a regret that you've done something and you may have gotten caught and how it affected other people. But here's a quick test for you. Whatever it is in your life, like maybe there's something right now that's going on in your life that no one else knows about. And you're just really good at hiding it because you're just that way. So let's say whatever that is. Now, will you stop doing it if someone catches you? Like if somebody catches you and now you're hugely embarrassed, now I'll repent. Or are you convicted by God now, even if no one else sees and you're willing to let it go and get rid of it now because God sees and that's enough? Because if God sees and that's enough, that is godly sorrow that worketh true repentance. And that's how you know it's real. There's a lot of times that I've been in situations where, and myself included, where people have gotten caught. They've been busted by somebody, something, their sin came out or whatever, and then they're broken. Whenever that happens, I always throw up a red flag and just in my mind about, I really hope this is for real. I really do. Because I can't tell. I can't tell if they're sorry just because they got caught. Time will bear that out. As my dad always says, truth and time go hand in hand. So as time goes on, the truth will be revealed. So if time passes and then they slip back into it or it ends up happening another way, then they truly were never sorry to begin with. They were not repentant. But people can get caught and be truly broken and truly be repentant. But I can't tell that. That's something between them and God. I can only just take their word for it and then I just have to see what happens. But we're very, very deceitful. And so if you're sorry about it without getting caught and you're willing to get right without anyone else knowing about it, then it's probably legit because God is convicting you and you're willing to do something about it. And this is what should happen in your life. When you're truly convicted and this repentance is actually real, look at verse 11. For behold, the selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort... What carefulness it wrought in you. You're full of care over things. You're, you're wanting to actually deal with it. What clearing of yourselves. You can be blameless because you're dealing with things properly. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire that you hate that sin and you want it out of your life. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things you have rep- approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So someone that is truly repentant, those things will be very evident in their life. So I think that's very interesting. And then lastly, and this kind of goes hand in hand with that last point and what I was just talking about, true repentance will always produce a hatred and abandonment of sin. A hatred and abandonment of sin. You now hate sin and you want it gone. Hatred and abandonment of sin. So being a listener, this is not easy But if you really want to be a disciple, you've got to become a good listener. You've got to want to hear God, and you've got to actually, like, legitimately hear him. When he comes against you, you listen. 
When he says something you don't like, you consider it and you really meditate on it. You think about it because he might be right and you might be wrong. It's very important. So here's some questions and I just call them mirror questions because I think they're very revealing. So think about this and maybe you can answer this. Uh, if you want to jot some stuff down, you can, whatever. Would other people say that you are selfless, humble, and teachable? Would other people say that about you? Or they say that you're just stubborn and you don't listen to anything anyone has to say. Do you hate sin? Or do you tend to protect it from being seen and defend it when it is revealed? That's tough. There's a lot of people that when it's revealed, they're very quick to make excuses about it. And to excuse their way of making it seem like it's okay when really it's not okay. When was the last time you abandoned sin in your life? Abandoned it. You left it behind once and for all. When was the last time that you did that? And just based on those honest answers, are you a good godly listener? Or do you got some work to do? So this is the very beginning. If you want to cultivate the heart of a disciple, you've got to first be a good listener. All right. Next point here. Once you learn how to be a good listener, then you can actually learn. You can become a learner. And this means you're learning how to be enlightened by God because once you actually listen to God, then you can actually learn what he wants you to learn and your life will be different. It will change. And so this is what happened to Paul in verse 18 and 19 where he was told what to do and he went and he immediately spent time with the disciples and he learned as much as he could. And then, um, so letter A here, becoming a learner means practicing what you know. And I wanted that keyword to be practicing on purpose. Becoming a learner means practicing what you know. What does it mean to practice something? Yeah. To do it. So, um, I don't know. Let's pick on sports because we can. All right. Baseball. Please baseball. Um, have you ever had a desire to pitch, Josh? Okay. All right. I did. But anyway. What, what's, what's the position that's your favorite? Probably second. All right. Second base. Okay. So when it comes to second base... Um, there are instructions you receive from your coach, like early on when you were playing probably a little league, where they taught you how to be the cutoff, right, and to properly cut off stuff that's hit out to the outfield. Very simple, but if you don't do it, it could cost you run after run after run. I've seen it, right? So your coach can tell you something, but then once you get out to practice and you actually start to do it, you get the feel for it. Because when you're in the game, you need to be able to learn how to do it. It's the same thing with pitching. When I first learned how to pitch, I had pitching coaches and I had different people that told me what to do, but until I started actually throwing the ball, then they're like, no, 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 do this instead. No, 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 your form's off. Here, And then even when I was hitting, I remember when I was on this one team and uh, they were working on our hitting and um, it was actually crazy because I think the league I was in at the time, I think the max anyone pitched was maybe 55, 60 miles an hour. So they made us practice on a machine that was pitching at us at 80 miles an hour. Quite different, by the way. There's a big difference in between and big difference. And so what we would do is that they set up a camera on the other side and I was standing there and I was getting my stance down and I could not like hit it worth anything because it was like 80 miles an hour. I, I was not used to hitting 80. I'm used to hitting 55, 60. And so then once you up at another 20, 25 miles an hour, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. So like out of 10 pitches, I may have like nicked one foul and that's it. But then after some time, started working through it, practice after practice after practice, I started to hit four out of 10. 
then I hit five out of 10, then I hit seven out of 10, and then I started, and then he kept working on my stance and working on my stance, working on my swing. So by the time I was done, I was almost hitting every ball that came out, but it took probably three, four weeks. Well, I went back to my league, <laughs> pitched 55, 60 miles an hour, and I led the league that year in home runs. Shocker. Because number one, we worked on my stance, we worked on my swing, but he put me under an intense situation that normally I would have never been under. So when I went back into the game, it was like a piece of cake. And that's what practice is supposed to be like. And so if you're learning, if you want to be a good learner, you actually have to practice. If you never practice anything, like if you just read the Bible and you learn stuff, but you never do anything about it, you're not going to be able to do anything about it when it counts. You're not going to be able to. When the Bible tells you instructions on how to deal with sin in your life, but you're never willing to do it. When the Bible tells you how to evangelize to somebody, but then you never do it. When the, when the Bible tells you about how to endure persecution, but when persecution comes, you just, because you never put these things into practice. You weren't ready. You were never ready. And so that's, this means you need to practice what you know. Practice what you know. Go over to Matthew 11. Matthew 11. All right, Matthew 11, take a look at 28. 28. Very well-known verses in the Bible. But Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All right. Really nice words, but what does that even mean? So look at 29 again. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. All right, we talked about this Sunday. What is a yoke? Yeah. Burden. Yes, it is a burden, kind of. What does a yoke do? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So it takes two animals and it ties them together to do work. So in this context, Jesus is telling you... Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So the picture here is that you have Jesus. So you have two animals. You got Jesus on the one side of the yoke and you're on the other side of the yoke. So as he's moving, what are you forced to do? Move. I mean, can you imagine trying to sit there when Jesus is moving and you don't and yet you're tied in with a yoke? Doesn't work out too well. So... Jesus is moving, you move. When he turns left, you turn left. When he turns right, you turn right. That's what we're talking about. Well, how do you do that practically? How in the world do you take Christ's yoke upon you and do that in your life? What do we got? What do we got? Mm -hmm. The Bible's the boss. So this is the yoke. As you read it, and Jesus is like, do this. Do this? Yes, do this. Okay, I will do this. Oh, turn left? Okay, I will turn left. Oh, you mean turn right? Okay, I'll turn right. Whatever it says, that's what you do. The Bible contains everything that you need for every decision you have to make. Every one. I'm not kidding. The issue is you just got to find it. And so you need to get in the Bible and you need to start reading it. And I will tell you a great place to start to find some great advice. The book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a great book to tell you how to deal with stuff. I mean, unbelievable. Struggle with anger? There's like at least 20 verses in the book of Proverbs that tells you how to deal with anger. 
how to be slow to wrath. Well, just think about it. How are you going to be slow to wrath? You know, and it will go through so many other things. It tells you, stay away from this. Okay, well, I'll stay away from that. It will give you all the wisdom that you need. And then there's a plethora of other stuff. In the, I mean, even the book of Psalms. The Psalms is full of stuff. If you're struggling, like say you're just feeling down. David felt down a ton. Go to one of his Psalms where he looks, seems like he's completely bipolar. Where on the one end, he's like wanting to kill people. And on the other end, he's saying, God, save them. And then he's like, God, I'm struggling. And are you ever going to come? But God, I trust you. I mean, like, what are you doing? All right, David, land somewhere. But this is us. This is us. We're crazy people. God knows that. So he put Psalms in there for us to read to understand you're not so crazy. You're pretty normal. It's just humanity. But how to deal with those things. I mean, it's all over the place. Everything you need for every decision that you have to make, dealing with conflict, dealing with relationships, dealing with authorities, dealing with wisdom and how to make good decisions, everything is found in the Bible. So taking God's yoke upon you means you need to get into the yoke. Because Jesus is not going to force the yoke upon you. What did he say? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. It's completely optional. Completely optional. Yeah. That's okay. I love that verse so much. And the one thing I remember, it was, I think it was Pastor Tom, but if you want to take the credit, you can. Okay, I might. Um, But the one thing that he he said that will stick with me forever that changed that verse for me completely was the ox that they put the yoke upon. There's always an older one Mm -hmm. and a younger one. Yep. And the older one though it's pulling the younger one it's teaching the younger one how to do it and how to plow the field and stuff and how that is a picture i feel like that changed it completely for me like jesus and us because we are babies we know Mm -hmm. nothing and if we put the yoke upon us then jesus is leading us and then we'll learn yes and then we'll grow because the ultimate goal is to be like christ right like the ox the baby the younger ox is is to be more like the older ox. Yep, yep, but exactly. That, just that, mm-hmm. visual, that really changed that verse for me. Yeah, and that's how you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, right. because he's leading you, and you're following him. You're doing whatever he does. So you need to do what you know. That's the important part. And here's the, the other part, too, and we might end on this point, and then we'll just pick up being a laborer later. We'll see how this, this works out. But um, Jesus periodically challenged his disciples about what they truly believed and it pushed them to action. Jesus periodically challenged his disciples about what they truly believed and it pushed them to action. He did this a lot. So if Jesus did this with his disciples literally upon the earth and you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, guess what? He's going to do it to you too. He's going to put you in circumstances and with other people where it's going to challenge what you actually believe and it will force you to make a decision one way or another. Let's take a look at a couple of these. Go to Mach. Mach chapter 8. That's my Boston. Matthew, Mach, Luke. Mark chapter 8. There's a couple circumstances. There's, I mean, there's a lot that I could have picked. I mean, there's a lot that's here, but there's a lot that I could have picked. But these are the ones that really mean the most to me, ones that have stood out to me in Scripture about this point. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. 
but some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. Okay, this is a big difference, because people have a lot of opinions about Jesus, and that's what he's saying. Who do men say that I am? Well, some people say you're John the Baptist, some say that you're Elias or Elijah, and others that you're one of the prophets that just come back from the dead. Yeah, but who do you say that I am? Forget about everybody else's opinion. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Is he actually your Lord and your Savior? Is he the Christ? And so Peter answered, and he gave the right answer. But then look at this. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that, saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Okay, so Peter just said that Jesus is the Christ. So Jesus Christ just said, this is what's going to happen. And Peter begins to rebuke Jesus and say, no, that's not going to happen. So all this is arranged because this is a big test for Peter. And now when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he hears the words, get thee behind me, Satan. And so now he's being used of the devil. And he probably took that personal, and that's fine. But do you think that would have challenged Peter's faith a little bit? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Jesus calling you Satan? <laughs> that, would, uh, that would challenge my faith a little bit. What's going on here? Why? What did I say? What did I do? How did the devil use me? Anything like that. And so here he says this. God then rebukes him, and then look at verse 34. And when he had called, his, called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And he continues, and he goes through that whole thing. So he's challenged what they believe. Yeah, men say this, but who do you say that I am? And then a circumstance unfolds where it immediately challenges Peter and his faith and what he actually believed. Go over to, um, let's see here. So John, John 6, I'll tell you this one. This is the one where Peter says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part with me. And many of the disciples were like, I don't know if I can hear that. And it says, many walked no more with him. And then Christ says, are you going to go away too? Talking to the 12. And they're like, who else are we going to go to? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. So they did not end up going anywhere. But it really challenged their faith. Go over to Luke 22. I want you to see this one. Luke 22. All right, Luke 22, verse 31. Luke twenty-two thirty-one, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath de desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. So he tells him, hey, Satan's going to attack you. He wants to have you, but I've been praying for you, which means Jesus never said, I'm going to stop the devil from attacking your life. That's not what Jesus said. He said, I'm just going to pray for you, which means the devil's coming after you. So he's coming after him, and he's like, are you kidding me? I'm ready to go to prison and to die with you. And Jesus is like, okay, before the night's over, let me just let the cat out of the bag. Before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. 
before the cock crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. Peter, no, I will die for you. No, you're not. You're not. You're going to deny that you even know me. And so then what ends up happening? Go over to John 18. John 18. John 18, verse 16. But Peter stood at the door without, then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And then, over in verse 25, And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself, and they therefore they said therefore unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Then Peter denied again, and immediately the cock crew. So even the guy, even the guy who knows the guy who Peter cut the ear off. like That's exactly what it says in verse 26. Peter cut a guy's ear off. Malchus is his name. And this is the servant of the high priest, being kinsman of whose ear Peter cut off. So this is like the brother of Malchus. And he's like, you're kidding me. Your ear got cut off? Yeah, but this guy is one of Jesus' disciples. His name's Peter. And later he's like, ah, my brother, whatever, cousin, uh, he, you cut his ear off. Like, I know that it's you. I, I did not. And he just just completely denied it. And then they caught crew. So he did it three times. And then go over to chapter 16. Go back to chapter 16, verse 32. So his faith was immediately tested, and it showed where he actually stood. Verse 32, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. So not only did Peter get tested, but all the disciples were going to scatter, and all of them were going to run at a certain point in time. And then Mark 14. Go back to Mark 14. Mark 14. Mark 14 and verse 20. Oh, nope, that's not right. Nope, wrong verse. All right, my bad. So completely forget that one. Okay, so the point here being, I need to find out that right reference. That's going to bug me big time. Um, but he periodically challenged his disciples of what they truly believed in, and it pushed them to action. It forced them to make a decision. When things go a certain way in your life and it forces you to make a decision one way or another, what do you do? And so here's the questions and we're going to end here and we'll finish the labor portion at a later point in time. So when was the last time God convicted you about something specific in your life? Not in general, like, I need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. No, no, no. What is, when was the last time God convicted you of something specific in your life? When was the last time you obeyed and changed your life or disobeyed God's conviction and remained unchanged. And you should be able to describe the struggle. Like if this is something you've never struggled with in your life, then you are certainly not a disciple. Certainly not a disciple. You may not even be saved. Because people that are saved, they have the spirit of God inside of them and they will struggle. They will struggle because when they disobey, they know it and they're able to articulate the struggle. Now, it is possible to become so callous after making so many bad decisions that you no longer feel like you're struggling, but you really, really are. You're just used to fighting it all the time. And so this is a good question to hear too. Is the pattern of your life to be convicted by God and change 
or is it to remain unchanged? So what is more prevalent in your life? Do you have more of a pattern? Do you have more of a tendency to remain unchanged when God convicts you? Like you know it, you know God's teaching, you know he's convicting you, but you just don't do anything about it. Or is the pattern of your life that God convicts you and you actually do something about it? Because the heart of a disciple, God convicts them and they do something about it. God bless you. (laughs) They do something about it. Disciples of Jesus Christ, when he convicts them about something in their life, they consistently do something about it and they change. They cannot stay the same. They can't because they're disciples. All right, and then we'll talk at a later point in time about being a laborer because you've got to learn how to be a a good listener and how to be a good learner and practicing what you know. So this should be enough for you guys to really start digging into some of these things and really seeing where am I really at with this? Because based on your honest answers, are you a good and godly listener and a good and godly learner? All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for the things that it teaches us. And thank you for how simple that you really have made it. Um, to really understand what it means to be a disciple. I pray that you would help us to um, just be submissive to you and allow you to do whatever you want in our heart and in our life and that we would have a pattern of letting you just change us from the inside out. We can be very stubborn and very prideful. And when we are that way, you are not honored at all in our life. We are. And when we're honored, there's no room for you. And, um, and that's terrible because it's not supposed to be that way. So um, I pray that you would help us just to take these things and really keep cultivating the momentum that we had from summer camp and that we would be obedient as we uh, just get ready for the things that lie ahead, um, for school, for the opportunities that we're going to have with our friends and family um, just in the weeks to come, that we would be faithful. So thanks again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.